Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On the panel today we have Kartik Krishnayer. My name is Christopher Harris and we're going to jump right into the podcast. For anyone who hasn't had a chance to listen to this before, it's a weekly deep dive on the soccer media business. What does that mean? That's everything from uh, television production, uh, streaming, who's got the best games, which games to watch each weekend, which commentators we love. Which commentators get basically? You uh, I mean not, not that we hate, but but kind of are, are grinding on us. Uh, there's a lot to get to. But Kartik, it's another week of football, and uh, a lot has changed in the last eh, few weeks. One thing that hasn't changed, it seems, right, is Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. W- what's going on there? What's what's your take on this whole? I mean, there's so many draws. I mean, Chelsea's definitely not in the title race right now, at least on current form. What's what's going on there? Yeah, I find it kind of interesting because it, again, accentuates the difference uh, between Chelsea fans and a lot of fans of other top clubs for me. Uh, Chelsea fans are very uh, uh, pro-Tuchel because he won the Champions League last year, even though I would argue it's a cup competition that's easier to win. There was a new manager bounce, and they played exceedingly negatively to get there. And I think... Uh, the thing about Chelsea that 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 I and I've been a big Tuchel fan. I even described myself as a Tuchelista at one point because I loved how they played football at Mainz. They were ahead of the rest of the Bundesliga at that point, in my opinion, in terms of Gengen pressing, winning the ball back, uh, quick uh, quick changes of possession, and, and taking shots uh, from that, putting shots on target. Uh, that continued at Dortmund, but. I thought his three at the back was a temporary measure to tighten up what was a leaky defense under Frank Lampard, or at least in, in the last six months or so under Frank Lampard. But instead, it's become kind of the default Chelsea way to play. And I, I don't want to get into moralistic arguments. You know, I know I've, I've argued in the past that Barcelona fans, I argued it last week, right? Barcelona fans are overly moralistic and look down on Atleti because of the type of football they play. But I do think at a certain point, given the amount of money Chelsea has spent on attacking players— 
over the course of the last three or four years uh, outside of that that uh, window they had a transfer van in they they have sort of a responsibility to play better football because they are not going to win the Premier League title playing the kind of football they're playing okay they are not going to finish ahead of Liverpool or Manchester City they have not finished ahead of each, either of those clubs in the last four seasons this would be the fifth successive season at this rate they're going to finish below both of them and yeah they're, it's great they maximize their opportunities to win cup competitions so does Arsenal actually <laughs> um, and, and you have to give them a lot of credit for that but the thing that is pretty clear to me now is that the media critique of Tuchel now matches my critique of Tuchel at Chelsea uh the things I was saying three four months ago and getting killed on Twitter for uh Chris now is being shared by I would say the majority of the media who's talking about Chelsea yet Chelsea fans are very protective very defensive and this um this reminds me of the fact that Jose Mourinho, beloved by Chelsea fans, I knew when he became the Manchester United manager, it didn't matter how much he won. They were never going to fully embrace him because of the style of football, unless he opened up and changed the way he played. So uh, to me, there's not, there may be nothing wrong, per se, with the Chelsea fans. They're into efficiency. They're into winning trophies. But it does illustrate to me a, a, a pronounced difference between Chelsea supporters and supporters of Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, uh, Real Madrid isn't always in love with with bad football. Their fans, they, they, I mean, they like winning trophies, but they also like to see some good football. Barcelona, I, I don't think Tuchel could ever manage their playing this way, uh, etc. Even Dortmund, where he came from, Dortmund, there's a there's a certain snobbishness around their their supporters. So, um, yeah, I, and I think uh, Chelsea are, are out of the title race. They've spent uh, more money on attacking players than anyone else, and. Uh, it may not be Tuchel necessarily, Chris. I think one thing that the media maybe needs to get into now is talk about, is there a cultural club problem at Chelsea where players know they're going to outlast the manager and they also never have kind of a settled uh, situation at that club? And that comes from the top, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, a lot, to, a lot to think about and a lot to ponder with Chelsea. But I, my, my overall point is my critique of Tuchel from a couple months ago has now been adopted by... I think the vast majority of people in the media. So, so what is that uh, criticism, though, Kartik? What is that an analysis? Is it that the system that he's playing or forcing into this team doesn't fit with the players? Or- Correct. Yeah, I, I, I get that Reese James uh, is phenomenal, and he's out now, and that has really hurt Tuchel. There doesn't seem to be a real plan B, though, there. Uh, but when you have Reese James and Ben Chilwell, you can win a lot of matches just by whipping in crosses or having these guys go forward from the wing-back positions. And and that's happened. Uh, that happened the first three months of this season when Chelsea was right there with City and Liverpool. Although at the time, they looked clearly like they were the team that was hanging on, right, in that title race. They looked clearly like the team that was grinding out results. Although there were some really good performances, right? I have to be concede that. The, the, the match at Leicester, uh, which they won 3-0, they played very well in. I think they outplayed Liverpool uh, uh, when they they played them at Anfield and, and got a kind of a horribly unfortunate call. Uh, that cost them the three points that day. But they, um, I, I don't think it fits the personnel. So I've, I've been analyzing that I think uh, they've signed four attacking players for big money in the last two years. Uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, and Hakim Ziyech. To me, all four of these guys are underachieving. All four, none, none of the four have hit the level I thought they would hit for Chelsea. Now, I would say of the four, the worst has been Havertz. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And I think he's in a class by himself from the other three. So maybe it's a little unfair to lump the other three in, although they're, they're both, they're all three of those guys are underachieving also, as far as I'm concerned, but Havertz has been terrible. Uh, and, and, uh, Maybe maybe these players aren't as good as we think there is, and there's a cultural problem at Chelsea. And then in that case, and it's not really Tuchel's fault, but they've missed on so many guys now. And even Hudson-Odoi hasn't quite developed at, at, at the rate I thought he would mount has, but a lot of that development took place prior to, to Tuchel being there, and he's been the beneficiary of it. Reese James, same thing. A lot of that development took place before. Um, it, it, we'll see if they integrate Conor Gallagher next year. But I, I just don't think what they're doing fits their personnel unless, and again, Tuchel sees their personnel every day. Maybe Havertz is, really isn't that good. Maybe he's not cut out for this Chelsea team. Maybe Pulisic and, and, and uh, Ziyech and Werner aren't as good as I thought they were. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that they're vastly, wildly underachieving. And there's been so much um, uh, of a microscope put on Manchester United recently I actually think at this point you could argue Chelsea, given the, the the level of spending in certain attacking positions, are the team that are underachieving at a greater level, at least going forward. There were other issues with Manchester United leaking goals uh, that maybe maybe some of their signings in central midfield haven't worked out, but. Um, I think from an attacking standpoint, no one has has has, has blown more money than Chelsea in, in, in world football, not just in England. Yeah, it's tough too because Chelsea's had some big managers, right? Uh, Antonio Conte, yeah. Jose uh, Mourinho in his prime. You mean Sari? You go down the list, and Thomas Tuchel. Uh, you've you've had some of the biggest managers, and um, yeah. Speaking of Antonio Conte, so we're recording this on Thursday. Wednesday was the just amazing ending between Leicester City and Spurs with uh, Steven Bergwijn uh, scoring uh, not only one uh, goal, but but two goals with an injury time uh, winner in an incredible ending to the game. Speaking of Chelsea, speaking of Spurs, that, that's my game to watch this weekend. Uh, on Peacock on Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, usually that's the game that's on USA Network and Telemundo. Not this Sunday. Sunday it's going to be on Peacock, and that one is going to be... It'll be interesting too because like Spurs are hardly uh, at the top, uh, performing at the best either. But uh, Harry Kane did get a really, really nice goal on uh, midweek. Kartik, uh, have you watched any of the Africa Cup of Nations? If you haven't, that's okay. But I just wanted to ask. Yeah, I have. Um, but the coverage has been kind of sporadic on VN, and, and there's been kind of a stop-start quality to the tournament. Although uh, I did, I did go back. And watched the uh, the Comoros uh, their great upset victory yeah. the other day, which was uh, uh, that that was those are the sorts of uh, uh, matches that keep me interested in international football. There are not enough of those, I think, in major tournaments, but that um, that was great. Yeah, that, that was that was fun to watch. Yeah, three two win there against Ghana. I think Comoros uh, before this game had never scored a goal in Africa Cup of Nations, and then they go ahead and score three uh, and knock uh, Ghana out of the competition. But for me, though, watching this. I mean, if you're a rights holder, if you're being sports and you've you've paid however much money it is to get the rights to the Africa Cup of Nations, um, it's the only it's one it's the big talking point right now as far as international football. You've got some of the biggest stars in the world playing in this competition um, from throughout throughout the world that have you mean come from these countries, and you have live sports. You've got live sports. Your channel is all about live sports. So being sports, you mean having live coverage exclusive of the Africa Cup of Nations, 
and the midweek I'm watching this, I think on Tuesday, and like there's two games happening, I think at the 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock hour Eastern time. And you would imagine that both of these games would maybe one game on BN Sports, the other one on BN Sports in Espanol. But no, 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 no. BN Sports goes ahead and puts reruns of Ligue 1 on, I think, on BN Sports and then reruns of the Turkish League on the Spanish channel. And the two games then, the live games, live sports, are happening on BN Sports Extra, which has TV commercials breaking into the game. So you're watching the game and all of a sudden it goes to a commercial mid-game, uh, even kind of mid-action. And then the other games on BN Sports Connect. And it's supposed to be available in English, but it's not available in English. It's only available in Arabic. So it, it's just a mess. I mean, yes, some of these games are on BN Sports and BN Sports in Espanol. But if you're a rights holder and you're a broadcaster, you've paid the money, you have the channels, you have the bandwidth, you have the distribution, you have the everyone's attention, don't screw it up. I mean, just do the basics. And, and, and the basics, they're not getting right. It's just so frustrating. Um, I, I just can't see any reason why being sports are being this incompetent. Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh... It's it just another notch in the kind of decline of being sports and, and, and how we've seen that when, when they burst onto the scene, the U.S. scene in, in 2012, they were a breath of fresh air. They were covering the sport arguably better than anyone at that point. And personnel losses, budget cuts, losses of rights, it's all led to this kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. You, you, you summed it up pretty well, Chris. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, it's 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 disappointing just because you I mean they have cut back big time, but it it doesn't take that much to at least broadcast the games on your TV channel. Now, in fairness, I would say that BN Sports probably looking at the viewing numbers for the Africa Cup of Nations are going like, man, these numbers are pretty small. These numbers are not as big as 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 we would think or we would hope for. But it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg because if you're not promoting it you're not showing the games on television you're making it in some ways it could be argued harder to find these games then people are going to probably not tune in and not get excited if anything get upset and, and not watch oh goodness i mean being sports i mean at this point it seems that it's all about cutter 2022 it's happening even at the end of this year after that who knows who knows if they if they'll uh, renew their rights to Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, uh, Ligue 1. If I'm the French League, I'm looking at this going, okay, great. Yeah, yeah we're getting more coverage on being sports in the United States on the television channels. But long term, is that the where we want to be? If I'm Ligue 1, I'm thinking, hey, let's talk to ESPN+. Plus. Let's talk to HBO Max. Let's talk to Peacock. Let's talk to all these different streaming services, Paramount+. Plus. I mean, what can we do to get League on these on these streaming services or TV channels and really kind of um, broaden the coverage? Kartik, before we move on to TV streaming news, any, anything else you want to talk about? Anything you've been watching that's been of interest? Not really. I mean, I think uh, uh, the thing that, that's been so fun to watch for me is Fulham in, in the championship. And uh, shameless plug, I'll be on TalkSport again on Thursday night, if, if you guys catch this before that, talking largely about Fulham and, and uh, what a revelation they've been the last couple of weeks under Marco Silva. But a, a, as we um, 
just take a week where Rafa Benitez was sacked by Everton and and um, there was all the analysis about how all these managers can, uh, conse- consecutively have failed at Everton, including Marco Silva. It's a reminder that maybe the club is the problem and not the managers because uh, Silva, I, I didn't have very high expectations for him at Fulham based on what had happened at Everton, but he's proving me horribly wrong on that. Yeah, part of it though too, Kartik, I, I, I would argue is the... The players, the players at your disposal, and yes, um, he's doing. Silver's doing better than uh, Scotty Parker, but I mean, yeah, you've got some of the best players in the championship. You've got Harry Wilson. You've got uh, um, the Serb up, up uh, Mitrovic up up top. You I mean you've got some really good players? I so for you, Kartik, this weekend, what's your uh, game to watch? Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I, I, I'm sticking with Serie A, which I know has been. Uh, uh, kind of my go-to this season just because there are big Serie A matches every week. It feels like Milan, Juve. Juve playing better of late, getting some better results. Uh, Milan in the thick of the title fight, 2.45 p.m. Eastern Sunday on Paramount+. Plus. One thing I have to point out, uh, Atalanta Inter this week was uh, maybe one of the more memorable matches. Uh, that was on uh, same time slot Paramount+. Plus. One thing I have to point out, Chris, is the season wears on. It seems like even though we're getting a healthy diet of matches on CBS Sports Network, the bigger matches are all ending up on Paramount Plus in Serie A, which was not necessarily the case in the first couple months of the season. So uh, another match of the weekend on Paramount Plus and not on CBS Sports Network. Uh, I think that's pretty notable. Yeah, for me, it's... I mean, everything's just as accessible to me. So sometimes, for me, actually, if anything, streaming is my go-to more so than than TV. If it's TV, if it's CBS Sports Network, I have to kind of figure out, try to remember where that channel is and what number it is and to find it. Um, But again, I'm not everyone, so so I'm sure there's a lot of listeners going like, hey, Chris, for me, it's so, so much easier through cable to find the channels, you mean, my favorites. So let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. And Kartik, uh, as far as um, the first topic of discussion, one of the things that I find interesting is there's been so much, I guess, um, I guess uh, attention put on the MLS TV rights deal that's going to be coming up. Uh, it expires this year. 2023 is the first time of the new contract. Uh, we are expecting the deal to be announced by the um, by March. And there's a lot of players involved, and we've talked about this on podcasts before. I mean, who's going to get it? Who's got the best chances of getting it? So much attention put on the MLS uh, TV rights, understandably so. But very it's surprising, really, because in the past, in order to get the rights to MLS, if you're ESPN or a Fox or Univision or NBC back in the day, the only way to get rights to Major League Soccer was to get rights to... Well, actually, that's the other way around. The only way to get rights to the U.S. men's national team games and the U.S. women's national team games, you mean, the big the big daddies, was to get the rights to Major League Soccer. And it was a, it was a deal that was done by Soccer United Marketing where you'd have... Um, if you want to get U.S. rights, you have to get the MLS rights that come with it. A combo deal. Now that that's been broken in half uh, and MLS has its own deal... U.S. soccer has its own deal. I just find it surprising, Kartik, that there's, there's been very little talk about the U.S. soccer rights deal. Um, what's your take on it? Have you heard anything? You mean, do you do you kind of feel that uh, it's been? I mean, that maybe Soccer United Marketing, without without Soccer United Marketing being invol- involved, maybe 
you mean U.S. soccer rights may not get as much money as as they're thinking at uh, at headquarters? Well, I, I think maybe the the bigger issue is that they're likely not to have qualifiers on the men's side for 2026, right? And that 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 certainly hurts their uh, their ability to, uh, to 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 get money at least for the men's side of that package. I mean, those are some some of the most attractive matches. Uh, that having been said, it's still a fairly there's a lot in that potential package and how we don't know how they're going to split it, etc. What I understand is there are going to be discussions about uh, media rights and how they market their media, uh, the, the, the media rights they brought in house at the uh, AGM, which is next month, or excuse me, which is in March. Uh, and then they will probably make decisions there, put out a tender and go through the process. But the process uh, is interestingly starting much later than the process for MLS and some, and it's very possible MLS and some will have uh, determined their rights for the next cycle uh, before the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation puts out this tender that I understand will, will will come out after the AGM meeting, and that means it's it's one of two things that could happen. One, uh, the, the 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 those that actually want the rights have already. Um, committed to MLS and to the package that MLS is putting together and are not going to have that much disposable money for soccer rights. And U.S. soccer is going to get hurt. Or it could work the other way where uh, there's somebody who bid bid, bid uh, a, a, a decent number on the MLS package, did not get it, did not receive it, and now are anxious to, uh, to, 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 to get a piece of U.S. soccer, which isn't USL. I think USL is going to be going through the same process in a year or after this season uh, uh, in terms of their, uh, their rights, which are all now with ESPN. Uh, but that's still kind of a gamble. It could go one of two ways. If there are three interested parties on the English language side in the English language rights for MLS and only two of them get it, uh, their split is, is two ways, like it's traditionally been. Then that third party, whoever it is, might go in hard for the U.S. soccer rights, and this really pays off for them. If not, they're probably left holding the bag with uh, rights that are not going to net what they thought they would by bringing them back in-house. Um, now, the women's national team is part of that, and they're more of a sensation now than they were when the rights were sold by some in 2015. So I think that probably helps them. The uh, The other factor to remember here is that there is uh, Spanish language rights involved, and presumably with those Spanish language rights are a number, even though you won't have a qualifier uh, against Mexico, a number of home friendlies against Mexico that are on U.S. soil that are marketed by the U.S. Soccer Federation. If that's the case, then the package might do okay on the Spanish language side. Yeah, I think in a way, U.S. soccer is sitting pretty here, Kartik, because I think what they're they're waiting on is, okay, let's wait for the uh, World Cup qualification for 2022 to finish. So by the end of March, um, well, maybe even sooner than that, by the, by the end of March, we will know whether or not uh, the U.S. has qualified for the 2022 World Cup. If they have, you can imagine that the um, the level of... You mean enthusiasm, excitement, anticipation. You mean just the the it'll be a huge morale boost for the players, fans, and broadcasters. Thinking, okay, this is wonderful, right? Finally, we're back uh, at the World Cup, and at that point, then to start talking about discussions for uh, U.S. soccer, uh, U.S. national team rights for both the men and the women. And, and also, too, I mean, even going into the 2026 World Cup, a little bit down the road, yes. The U.S. won't have to qualify for it, uh, being one of the uh, the host countries. But 
I can imagine too. I'm sure they're going to have some big, big tournaments um, to try to maybe the summer before to try to really uh, get the the country excited. Uh, having friendlies with some major teams, I can imagine, you know, in England or Italy, Argentina, Germany, other teams that want to get some experience playing in the U.S. on U.S. soil, tr- maybe trying to figure out where they want to want to go ahead and get training camps. Or there's a lot, of, a lot that can um, be beneficial to the other countries, um, as well as the, the weather conditions, etc. So, so I, I mean, this is all banking on the U.S. qualifying for the 2022 World Cup, uh, which looks good right now. But we will we'll see. I mean, starting what next week is uh, U.S. against El Salvador, uh, and then I mean, you've got a string of friendlies. I mean, a string of World Cup qualifiers after that to see whether or not uh, they're going to be able to make it. Fingers crossed on that. In other news, uh, Fubo TV subscribers, if you have an Apple TV, Fubo has updated their app to allow you to track scores and stats within MultiView. For those of you who have been using Fubo TV, it means you can customize fan view within multi-view. Now, that might sound uh, Greek to some of the listeners who don't have Fubo TV, but this definitely sounds like a feature that I'll be testing in the coming days to see how it works. And I think it's another reason why Fubo TV is well ahead of the competition. So what it effectively allows you to do is watch several games at once if you want to, um, and you can actually use widgets on your TV to put with its latest scores or stats and customize the whole experience. So you're watching the game uh, as you would, but you've got some stats and scores on the page that are customized by you. So definitely interested in how this works, and that's available right now on Apple TV uh, for Fubo TV customers. Can't take one more um, big piece of news before we move on to the listener mailbag. Yeah, DAZN has announced that later in 2022, it will premiere three brand new documentaries, premiering in the fall of 2022, Maradona, The Fall, uh, looks back at Maradona's failed, Diego Maradona's failed drug test at the 1994 World Cup. The film will take a closer look at the, at the controversial event and what actually happened on the inside. That's going to be really interesting. And there's been just a plethora of... Uh, of Maradona documentaries of late, so that that that's uh, yeah, a little, that's a specific a little bit yeah, a little ahead. bit too many. <laughs> I don't know too many, but this might be interesting because it's a specific event, right? Um, might be uh, might be different than the others. Next, and I'm really excited about this next one. By the way, Green Lions showcases Cameroon's inspirational and unlikely 1990 World Cup run. Uh, the documentary tells every side of the story, heading uh, he- uh, heading inside the training camp 30 years later and reflecting on how. Uh, far a team was able to go and they had all sorts of adversity that maybe people don't know about who haven't studied it closely uh this uh this used to be a pet topic of mine about 20 years ago the cameroon run and there's i've forgotten a lot to be honest with you so i'm really looking forward to this um the the third one in in of these three documentaries will be um ronnie which showcases ronaldo's world cup career with brazil uh the documentary will include some of the biggest moments in ronaldo's life from the 1998 World Cup final to his major knee injuries, uh, Roberto Carlos, Paulo Mandini, uh, Maldini, excuse me, Romario and Zidane all provide exclusive in- interviews. Uh, and of course, that 98 World Cup final we know um, was super controversial that he played. Rumors were circulating that day in Paris. So that'll be interesting. I will admit, I worked uh, as the press officer for a club owned. Partly owned by Ronaldo, and I never asked him about that '98 final. 
So maybe I was a little negligent in that personally, but I was working for the club and didn't didn't want to approach that subject. So I'm actually looking forward to this documentary also, Chris, because I think they will talk about that. Um, in fact, in John Monson's autobiography, he devoted, I want to say, like four or five pages to the rumors that day in Paris as he's preparing to call the final for uh, for BBC and uh, just how it kind of disrupted even broadcast preparations for the match. It was such a su- su- such a wild thing. And of course, France went on to win that final 3-0. So like you, Kartik, I'm interested in the Maradona one. If it gives new information or new insight, um, I'm starting to get a little bit burnt out on the Maradona documentaries. There's several. Um, I mean, there's one which was the the one that uh, premiered on HBO Max, the original one with uh, Giorgio Moroda soundtrack, which is to me the best one yet. Um, there was the TV series, which, which was um, eh, it was pretty it was pretty good on Amazon Prime. Green Lions, like you two, I, I'm really excited about that one with Cameroon. But Kartik, I have to ask you. Ronnie, have you ever heard anyone re- refer to Ronaldo as Ronnie? No. <laughs> so it's a weird name. I mean, when I when I hear the word Ronnie, I'm thinking uh I don't know, Ronnie Reagan or Ronnie Whelan, but I'm not thinking Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> that was really weird. Yeah, so let's move on to listen to mailbag. First up is Chris and he says, "I watched a EFL League 1 match this past Saturday on ESPN Plus between Sunderland Sunderland and Wickham and I have to say that it was one of the best matches I've watched all season among the leagues I regularly watch the atmosphere inside Wickham's ground was electric and passionate and the level of play in League One is equal to what you find in MLS in my view overall very entertaining and I wish ESPN Plus was able to broadcast more matches from League One as well as League Two Kartik, you being a championship expert, for sure, in England, but what I would say is that absolutely, without a doubt, the way, the level of football that's being played throughout the Football League, for the most part, is possession-based, tiki-taka, playing the ball on the ground. I mean, it's it's been a transformational change to what it used to be, you mean, kind of route one, lobbing it in the air. Uh, you mean very physical and aggressive, and I think we saw that a little bit in the FA Cup third round too, where we we watched a lot of games from lower league opposition, and you see the level of play that they're playing at. Not all of them are great at it, but um, the intention is there. And I can see Chris's comment about League One uh, being equal to uh, what you find in MLS. In his view, I can see that. You mean in terms of the style of football, it, it is. Uh, trying to be world-class style with younger players that may not uh, be at, at, at a highest level. What, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that the leagues have all gotten better in England. There have been fewer and fewer players, uh, clubs playing Route 1. So the top teams in the championship tend to play more attractive, open football. It's something that got pioneered, I would say, the year Blackpool got promoted under Ian Holloway, whatever year that was. So it's more than 10 years ago. That that became more of a uh, a staple of how you, you, you start to play in the championship to get out of the division. And so we've seen these teams come up to the Premier League, and even if they don't stay up, they're not as laborious to watch when they come up to the Premier League. 
In terms of this Wickham-Sunderland match specifically, Wickham Wanderers were in the championship last year. They were unfortunate not to stay in the championship. They played great football, and, and I'd love to see them back in the championship next season. By the way, I watched this game instead of the FA Cup. It was so good. If you remember, I think we talked about it last week. Sunderland have been playing a fair amount of Route 1 since they went down to um, to League Two, uh, League 1 a few seasons ago trying to desperately get back up. They're by far the biggest club in that division. They'd arguably be the biggest club in the championship if they come up to the championship next year. This season, uh, under Johnson, they're playing a much more uh, attacking uh, brand of football, playing with the ball on the ground. They have some players that they brought in who can play that way, have come out of academies in England more recently, and have been taught to play that way. That's part of the the issue, is that if you have more veteran players who come out of... uh, Academies in England and Wales and Scotland, they haven't necessarily learned to play this style of football when they were an academy. Now, the last 10 years or so, uh, academies in the UK and particularly in England and Wales are teaching football this way. Uh, oh, Swansea actually is another great example, Chris. And you're, I, I should have, I said Blackpool. I think maybe the first team that did this was Swansea. Oh, no, that was a, that was a year later. Swansea under Brendan Rodgers um, played amazing football to get up. Uh, to the Premier League, but I think it's a trend, and I I, I don't want to um, make this about MLS, but there are so many fans who are defensive of MLS that have this narrative in their mind about the championship and League One and League Two, the championship in particular, right? And that they'll make these crazy statements. Like I got into a big Twitter spat a few few weeks ago with some MLS fans who said that uh, Brighton would be a mid-table team. They're not, they wouldn't be that good in MLS, basically. It was like, are you kidding me? Wow. I don't think an MLS team would, most MLS teams wouldn't get the ball off Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, it w- it w- that was a particularly bad example for them to pick. If they had picked Burnley or picked another low-end Premier League team, maybe, maybe they would have had more of an argument. Um, but I don't think a lot of the MLS fans who critique the championship and get ver- have this kind of inferiority complex um, and def- get defensive saying, oh, well, those uh, people who compare, say the MLS teams couldn't compete in the championship, they're just biased, uh, and uh, the MLS teams are great compared to the championship teams. One, I don't think they've watched the championship recently and realized there's been this evolution in style and tactics. I would argue that has kind of happened in MLS also. MLS is not as laborious as it was five or six years to watch. Uh and and the laboriousness of MLS wasn't that it wasn't entertaining. It was that everybody was playing the same way. That's not the case. I would say the the big trigger on that was Jesse Marsh's tenure at Red Bull. Mm. New York began to change the way the games were played in MLS. And now you have multiple tactical styles in the league. But um, I would argue the championship is better than the vast majority of first divisions in, on, on the continent. So may, uh, so I'm not taking a shot at MLS when I say, hey, I don't think MLS teams necessarily would compete that well in the championship, and they think it's some sort of shot. I would say the same thing about teams in the Austrian Bundesliga or in, uh, you know, just name, name a league. All the leagues in Scandinavia, to me, are inferior to, top divisions in Scandinavia are inferior to the championship. And, and a number of uh, uh, other big leagues, uh, leagues we consider, you know, top, okay first divisions that have teams that do okay in Europe in uh in, in, in uh, on the continent. Yeah, so we get a lot of criticism in general, and this is going this is going back years now, can't it? Not not just even recently. Um, but I, I feel that in many ways and we, we try to be as impartial, unbiased as possible. I mean we love the game of soccer. Um, some leagues are better than others, some teams are better than others, some players are better than others. Um, and and it's a roller coaster ride. It 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 swings back and forwards. It's not always at the same level uh, consistently. 
but having said that, I mean, I, I look back. So I, the other day I was trying to figure out how many games a year do I watch? And it's well over a thousand games. I'm watching on average two to three games a day, roughly every single day of the year, sometimes even more. Sometimes I might be watching even a 7.30 a.m. kickoff, a 10, 10 o'clock kickoff, a noon kickoff or 12.30 kickoff or having two games on at the same time watching those games. So Kartik, you and I are definitely watching a lot more championship than the average soccer fan. You and I are probably watching a lot more Major League Soccer than 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 the average MLS fan in some ways. Because if you're an MLS fan, you're probably watching your team. You're not necessarily watching all the other teams too. Um, so we watch a lot of soccer. We've watched a lot of soccer for many, many years. This is not just a recent thing. And we try to be as impartial as possible. And, I mean, the things we say are, are from our heart. It's our honest opinions. It's our honest analysis. And oftentimes I disagree with you, Kartik. And vice versa, but but we just share our opinions, and and, and this is a good one from Chris too. And, and it's, uh, I think, in many ways, people do get defensive, and like, oh, wait a second, no, no, MLS is much much better than Championship. Or, but what what is that based on? Is that based on them watching a, a, a ton of games from the different leagues from around the world, where they're analyzing how how the games are played and the the technical ability? Maybe maybe not. But that that's our take. Is we, we just share our honest opinions. And sometimes people yeah, people I, don't like that sometimes. Right. And and the fact that, that uh, these MLS fans had picked Brighton as the team to make the argument about in the Premier League, because they were trying to make the point that many MLS teams are better than these Premier League teams that aren't the top Premier League teams. And uh, uh, they picked Brighton, which was a... Well, that uh, tells you that... Quite an odd one to pick, that, that, which showed me, told me they haven't been watching the Premier right. League. Well, that tells you that they're not... Or they don't get what they're watching, right? Maybe they did watch Brighton because they're so um, efficient in passing and under Graham Potter and keeping the ball. Uh, maybe they don't... Maybe that's not the style of football they're accustomed to seeing and they think it's it's crap. I don't know. But it was it was a weird team for them to pick, is what I'm saying. I mean, it made made the job of me and and Chris Kessel and a couple of the other guys that were on there fighting this fight against these folks on Twitter much easier. If they picked Newcastle or Burnley, we may have had a harder sell. Yeah, Brighton's probably the worst pick you could you could name in the Premier League <laughs> yeah, right, as, exactly. as a team. You uh, I mean anyone watching Brighton and have seen how well they play in the system that they play. You mean you could have picked many other teams to, to use a, as an example, but if you use Brighton as the example, it shows you're not paying attention, you're not watching the games, or or you just don't have the knowledge. Um, but yeah, <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, next up is a question from Ra to you, Kartik. Ra says in the podcast, your description uh, last week of why you don't like cups in general seems to be perfect, perfectly applicable to the World Cup. Is it the case? There's obviously nothing wrong with his disliking it. Just curious. So yeah, it's kind of the case. I like the World Cup group stage, um, and, and and I think I mean I like the World Cup, but the, I think the point is uh, it is kind of random who wins it. I don't think those are necessarily the world champions in my mind because you go through a qualifying hall. There are teams that are clearly better in qualifying. It's all about kind of a cycle. So if you're if your players happen to be peaking. Uh, in that summer, once every four years, then you, you you tend to win a World Cup. If your players peak and their ages don't necessarily align and they're peaking sometime during qualifying or sometime uh, the year after a World Cup when there's not even qualifying going on, then you kind of get, get screwed by it. So I think it is kind of an arbitrary thing. And the thing with the World Cup, I guess, that has made it to me less interesting than the European Championships or, or 
uh, Copa America uh, is the uh, the lack of variety of winners. It feels like. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like uh, the, uh, an outsider can win the World Cup. Even though Croatia got to the final last time, I was genuinely excited about that. But it, it, it feels like it's the same countries over and over again. The football, I, I don't. I think the football is good, but it's not as good as the Champions League, for example, which is another competition I'm not in love with. But so, yeah, I guess I'm kind of on the fence. I, I'm giving Ron giving a, a kind of uh, both sides argument here. But yeah, I, uh, I I enjoy it, but I do think I do put a qualifier next to it in terms of are those teams really the best team in the world uh, at a given moment? I think we, Germany and Spain, uh, some of the recent world champions have been. Was Italy the best team in 2006? I don't think they were. Um, for example, I think that that's a, that's a good example of a, a team winning, excelling in a cup format, um, a, a specific set of players excelling in a cup format. Uh, Spain, 2010, they were the best team in the world for about a six or seven year period then. Uh, so they were worthy World Cup champions. Germany, I guess, were the best team yep. in the world at that point. Um, but I'm not sure France was the best team in the world in, in 2018. Mm-hmm. They certainly had the, maybe the best individual pieces, but I liked the Croatian midfield, and obviously they got to the final. Because uh, you with Rakitic, you talk about not being able to get the ball off someone. Rakitic and Modric in the same uh, midfield, and Brozovic. I mean, those three guys, amazing. And then I think Belgium were probably the best team in that World Cup. Um, but then they lost to France, right? And and they got uh, maybe unlucky because if they had finished second in their group, they would have had the draw England had, and they probably get back. They get to the final, and maybe the trajectory of a match against um, France is different. So, yeah, it's a cup competition still to me when it comes down to it. I enjoy it, but it's a cup competition. So for anyone listening to this podcast uh, on this stream, you, you'll know in the last couple of weeks we've had uh, a different show, a new show that's been on Mondays, which has been with uh, Carl Fanzler. And oftentimes it's with Kartik and a special guest. And we've had a, a series of different topics that we've discussed in the last few weeks, uh, everything from the transfer window to uh, MLS playoffs uh, to also MLS transfers. And uh, one of the uh, questions uh, from one of the listeners about one of those episodes, about the MLS transfer episode uh, with Janusz Mahalik and Kartik was uh, from Don. And Don says the big difference in players coming and going to and from American Europe among other places in the world, is we send our top talent at a young age, think under 21. Where, Whereas when we, we get the so-called stars back and we sign a star that uh, that's already in their 30s, I'm not saying the stars of 2015 aren't fun to watch in 2022, but I wish MLS could get and keep some gems because most of these stars are homegrown. Lou says also uh, uh, on a similar note, uh, Lou says, uh, well, haven't we heard about the U.S. goldmine of talent for 25 years now? World Cup uh, 2010 was going to be a great one for the U.S., as I recall. And, well, by 2018, we would be a top contender for sure. Frankly, I'm not seeing the talent we have uh, We have taking the necessary next step. Greg says on a similar note, I honestly wouldn't trust U.S. men's national team players who were happy to coast in MLS. Landon Donovan, disappointed in that way. I'd have loved to see him really make it make a go for it uh, in Europe. And um, two more comments on that similar topic. Uh, Dave says, for development, I think players should strive for the top league and, and the team where they earn consistent and meaningful playing time. Riding the bench or not even making the bench is not good for development. Neither is playing against overmatched competition. 
seems that slowly but surely water is seeking its own level. And then last but not least, Raymond says, when it comes to transfers, do you believe MLS in the future will see diminishing returns? For example, Argentina, Mexico and Brazil have been falling behind at the club level because they've been selling young players. So Carter, Carter, go ahead on that one. Yeah, so I'll start with the one from from Lou. I think uh, uh, World Cup 2010 was our moment. That was when we had our best team. And uh, unfortunately, again, it's a cup competition that happens at a certain point in time. We had a um, ridiculous number of injured or unfit players, uh, partially unfit players playing in that tournament. So Charlie Davies was out. Uh, Stu Holden was not really fit. Aguchi Onyewu was not really fit. And I, I feel like, and Jermaine Jones had gotten injured. That's right, because he, he had already made his one-time switch, by the way, to the U.S. And, and, and Bob Bradley was anxious to, to integrate him in the side and uh, uh, got hurt uh, at Schalke and, and, and was out and didn't get to play until August, right? We had an August friendly. That was when there was still an August friendly date in 2010. So that was the moment. That was the best team we've had. I think much better than the team, current team. Uh, maybe the potential for the current team because there's so many young guys is better. But I think that was our moment. So when people mention 2010, I get a little defensive because, yeah, there was a lot of expectation around that uh, tournament. And I think we would have fulfilled it. The point in time when the tournament was held was the worst possible moment for us because of injuries. And remember, Holden, Stu Holden had gotten injured in a friendly against the Dutch uh, when Nigel de Jong took him out in uh, late March. So he played in the World Cup, but he wasn't fit. So um, I get, uh, that's just a personal thing. I get very sensitive when people say we've, un- we've, we've underachieved. Uh, I agree we probably underachieved, except in that period. And that period it was caused, uh, the underachievement was caused by in- injuries. I think we were right there. We were on the cusp of being a semifinalist in that World Cup, in my opinion. Uh, if things had, had had been a little different. And we did win our group nonetheless at that World Cup. It's the only time we won our group. Yep. So I think we still did better in that World Cup than most. Um, the, uh, the, the the comment about guys who coast, I, um, I'm of two minds about this. I would encourage guys to go to Europe, but I'm not like, uh, I get really annoyed by these US MNT fan uh, accounts on Twitter. Actually, we're recording this just after I put up a, a tweet saying, asking, really, how do I block these people? How do I not see these people's tweets? I don't follow them and it keeps popping up. There is a group of newer U.S. men's national team fans who are very active on social media. A lot of them uh, have YouTube uh, channels and YouTube shows about the national team who assume any player who stays in MLS past the age of 21 or 22 is is, is rubbish and that any guy who goes to Europe is great. So um, I kind of agree that I don't want to see guys in MLS coast. I also don't like the flip side of that narrative now, which is that guys who are in MLS uh, and, and for whatever reason, whatever circumstance, every player has individual circumstances, every club and agent has different uh, perspectives and maybe agendas as to when they sell guys, what, what they do with the, their clients. Um, I don't like uh, characterizing guys that way. And then the, uh, the Raymond point is fantastic. I, I've noticed this about the Argentine and Brazilian league. They've definitely fallen behind in terms of their quality because guys have gone to Europe at a, at a younger age. We're beginning to see that with Liga Mekis, although um, there are some Liga Mekis uh, uh, guys who don't move over till 22 or 23, right? Still, they're not going over at, at 17 and 18 like uh, or 18 and 19 like Argentine and Brazilian league players. So I think that's a great point. MLS could very well 
begin to, 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 to backslide But because of that. But the business of MLS will get healthier. I think the thing that some... And, and this is very foreign, a very foreign concept to American sports fans, and a lot of them are resisting it. But I like what MLS is doing here, or at least some MLS clubs like Dallas and, and, and Red Bull New York. They very much see their clubs as part of a global transfer market. And they very much know they're sitting on a goldmine of potentially talented commodities in their markets, in the in their regions, right? In in, in North Texas and in, in New Jersey. So those clubs are leveraging that in the global marketplace, which is what this sport is about. So I I know for Americans fans, we're used to American closed leagues in a closed player market um, and CBAs and and, uh, restricted free agency and all these American concepts. Uh, It might be very difficult for them to get their heads around this. But I actually like the fact that uh, you've got some MLS clubs that uh, they're, they're more interested in, in developing players and moving them on than maybe winning titles. I think that's that's global football. That's the market. Yeah, but at the same time, so so yeah, that that hurts though, Kartik, because I mean, for my club, my club um, Swansea is a team that develops players and managers and then moves them on. We, I know that we're a stepping stone club. I don't think that we're going to win the league every season, but financially, as a business. The way that the the club is run is a smart way. Um, But then I look at MLS, and there's nothing wrong with that system. But who in MLS is that go-to American soccer player? Who is going to, you mean, basically make me jump for the remote control and say, hey, tonight, XYZ, American player, is playing in an MLS game tonight? And yes, there's a lot of youth coming through the system that has potential um, and some of these players will play on the U.S. men's national team. But for the most part, when it comes to the, the next World Cup game, uh, it's going to be mostly players, American players playing in Europe are going to be on that team. There's not going to be a lot of MLS stars. So I, I, I think from a TV viewership perspective, um, it's detrimental. And I'm sure MLS, in these discussions with HBO Max, Turner, Fox, ESPN, all all the different players involved are saying, you know, drop in some names as far as, I mean, yes, players uh, in in Sydney that they've signed, but some other big stars that should be coming in the future and how much they're spending on transfers and all this stuff. But I still feel that there needs to be some some big American stars playing in this league, and I, I, I'm just not seeing it. Speaking of uh, Warner and HBO Max, uh, JP says, Kartik's article on Turner's interest in MLS rights and the discussion here has me thinking one thing. The time has come for leagues to finally forego the middleman and just launch their own service. With most soccer moving to streaming anyway, and it's projected everything else is moving in that direction, creating league-specific streaming apps is the simplest way to go. No more need f- needs. Uh, no more need for fans to chase around where matches are week to week, if multiple broadcast partners. No more need for local RSNs, regional sports networks, and no more need to go through the dog and pony show of rights negotiations every three to ten years. So what JP is saying here is like, hey, cut out the middleman, cut out the. ESPN or the HBO Max or whatever it is, and just have direct-to-consumer. Have If you want to watch Major League Soccer rights, or you want to watch MLS games, you subscribe to MLSSoccer.com 
and their streaming package. And this could be for any league in, in the world. Yeah, I think I think that's a great solution. Look, I the last few years, um, maybe I feigned I have interest in other sports, but I haven't really watched uh, anything else outside of soccer in a sustained way, maybe like the occasional uh, major golf tournament, the Masters or the, the, the Open Championship. Uh, I, uh, in the last three or four years, I'm now back into watching college basketball, and particularly the University of Miami, University of Florida. And, uh, and that's just restarted kind of three months ago for me, Chris. And I'm finding it impossible to keep up with what channel these matches are on and, and uh, these games are on. And they're all on ESPN networks, right? But it's a question of, uh, are, are, is it on the ACC network? Is it on ESPN2? Is it on ESPN+, Plus? is it on ESPN3? There have been some Miami games on ESPN3, but not on ESPN+, uh, Plus, uh, not on a linear channel. Uh, and then, or, or in the case of Florida, is the game on the SEC network. Their game last night was on the SEC network. And I'm like, oh gosh, this is, what, this is one of the reasons why I can't, st- I, I stopped watching American sports, among many other things. It's like, you cannot keep track of when the ma- when the games are on, what channel the games are on, particularly if you're in the ESPN ecosystem, which, so going back, this is why I think even though there's been, there've been complaints that all of these games are on ESPN plus from La Liga and uh, the Bundesliga, I'm now realizing with this this experience in college basketball, and it is different than when I watched college basketball three years, three four years ago. When I stopped watching college basketball closely, ESPN Plus didn't exist, and it felt like ESPN three was being phased out, and the ACC network hadn't launched yet. Also, at that point, so now it's it's horribly confusing. Even though all the games are have are it's the same broadcast partner, right? The same network that has the rights. So I, I, I'm now realizing, in light of this experience, Chris, that my complaints that, oh, they're not showing enough La Liga games on ESPN or on ABC, or they're not showing enough Bundesliga games, maybe it's great that all of the games are on, um, on uh, uh, ESPN+. Plus. And contrast that with the, the Premier League, where you don't know if a game is on, uh, is on uh, Peacock or on USA or on NBC, it, it, it seems kind of random, and in fact, it got to the point uh, the other day. What was the what was the match on USA on Tuesday? There was a match on USA. Um, yeah, it was the and, yeah, uh, uh, Bright, Brighton uh, against Chelsea. Yeah, Brighton against Chelsea. Thank you. So the ESPN three, which is again not <laughs> the ESPN three element, gets introduced for German Cup in soccer. Right, mm-hmm. that's the only time we really have to deal with it. But. Uh, the the San Pauli San Pauli Dortmund match was on ESPN three, so I didn't want to go off of streaming to watch this game on USA, and uh, I ended up having to find my credentials. Uh, I got a ten minute free preview of NBCSports.com, then it, it expired. Then finally, I found my Directv credentials and was able to stream that match on NBCSports.com. But it would have been so much easier if the game was just on Peacock to be perfectly honest with you. So if you're a basketball fan like you are, Kartik, you know what you need, right? You need uh, worldbasketballtalk.com <laughs> with all the schedules, with all the information about where to find the games uh, and all the different reviews of the different streaming services and, 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 and the, the well, basketball uh, TV schedules app, hint, hint. <laughs> it would be great if someone did that. I, maybe someone does do it for basketball. The frustration, Chris, I have is all of every single game that I'm talking about with basketball 
because uh, Miami's in the SEC and uh, Miami's in the ACC and Florida's in the SEC. They're all on the ESPN networks, but it's a question of what ESPN network and if it's going to be plus or and like I said, the ESPN three is still part of the mix with that. So they, they have like six or seven different places they can stick a game, even though they have the rights to every game. I know there are other college basketball conferences that are on Fox or on uh, um, NBC. Uh, you notice there's some games on USA but that, that bracket Premier League matches. But the two, two teams I'm interested in in their conferences are complete ESPN monopolies. So you would think, okay, you know when the game is? It's in the same place every time, but it never is. So, so is the problem. So, so, so JP, we're probably going to uh, change this one into the, the title of this podcast because it, it is a big uh, idea and a big issue and a big concern and a, and a great idea because – I mean, ESPN would argue, ESPN would say, okay, hey, Bundesliga, La Liga, yeah, you guys are great. You guys do great leagues and, and yeah, you have a great website. But you need ESPN because ESPN provides the, the reach. It provides the promotion, distribution. We have everything from ESPN, uh, Disney, Wide World of Sports. We've got Disney Plus. We can have some Bundesliga stuff on there. At the end of the day, most soccer leagues around the world are horrible in marketing and, and promotion and advertising and yeah. public relations. And someone like an ESPN is a perfect example of kind of the uh, probably the best example of a powerhouse that does marketing, promotion, advertising, distribution, reach, cross-platform, cross-network cross uh, kind of integration. And if you're a – say, say the, you're the French League, Ligue 1, and you're unhappy with being sports and you say, hey, we need to figure out a way to go ahead – and create a better connection with our fans. League Earn could go ahead and say, okay, we're just going to put everything on streaming and make it available to I mean, fans uh, in the United States as a direct-to-consumer subscription. And you get the League Earn coverage, all the games, and some bonus coverage as far as shoulder programming, etc. That league would die. That league in the United States would die because y- y- you, need, you need that reach. In, in many ways, I think having... A soccer league on an ESPN or a Fox or an NBC, you get um, you get a lot a lot with that. You mean you get you mean whether it's um, the Super Bowl and there's a clip that says you mean hey don't forget this Sunday we've got uh, I don't know Manchester City against Manchester United uh, check it out or, or or a lot of cross promotion between different coverage of different leagues. At the end of the day, in the distant future. I can see that happening with JP's uh, recommendation where you do subscribe to leagues and you get all the games. Um, but in the meantime, I think we're stuck with the same type of formula. Uh, having said that too, I, mean, I know that like, the Premier League used, I mean, the Premier League has its own TV channel and the Premier League has said before that uh, in the future, we, we could go ahead and just have all the games on PremierLeagueTV.com uh, and have it all streaming. UEFA has their own TV channel. It's UEFA TV. They're developing that technology and increasing that and acquiring rights to soccer leagues from around the world. Um, they're not big ones, but they have some, some games on there. Thinking, Knowing that at some point in the future, they can go direct to consumer. But right now, UEFA needs CBS um, more than CBS needs UEFA. And I think that's the way things are heading. Kartik, do you have any different take on that or any, any additional information you want to share? 
Yeah, I think this is where the Super League was headed now that we're talking about it. I think that was probably either they were going to, a lot of the matches were going to go to club channels or they were going to go to a Super League, you know, ESL.TV type channel. Yeah, because Man-, Man United, like MUTV, they probably say like, hey, we, and they've had that since what, the 80s? They've had their own club channel um, that has a ton of coverage documentaries interviews insights i mean they have i mean steve bauer worked worked there for a long time uh they've had some big commentators i mean i'm sure they have a lot of subscribers but i'm sure they're pushing they're probably saying like hey you know what let's cut cut out the middleman and instead of the league instead of a a a consumer subscribing to a league have a consumer subscribe to a, a club and have them subscribe to mutv they get live games uh home and away and then Manchester United gets all the money, gets a, a larger share of the revenue with their millions of fans uh, worldwide. Then the league, where the Premier League gets the, the money, and then the Premier League divides that among all 20 teams uh, versus also, you know what I mean? So so th- you're right, Kartik, That That's where the clubs want more of that pie. They want more of that money. So JP's idea about subscribing directly to the league I mean, why not subscribe directly to to the club? And for me, like personally, from personal experience, the last few years, I subscribe directly to Swansea uh, Swans TV, which is home and away all the Swansea City games, except for the games that are on ESPN Plus, and those are those are exclusive to ESPN Plus. I'm paying two hundred and fifty dollars a year just for that privilege of being able to watch those games. Without paying those two hundred fifty dollars, I wouldn't have those games. I, I would only see maybe one game every month but i'm such a fan i'll pay 250 dollars, even though it's a ton of money um so i mean yeah so going to a direct to consumer model might end end up being that you're paying more than what you're paying now through an espn plus or paramount plus or whoever it may be so um yeah this is this is definitely a a topic they'll they'll keep on coming up and up in the future as, as years go by Last but not least, uh, last uh, comment is about uh, Africa Cup of Nations from Mercator. And Mercator says, BN's coverage of the AFCON is an absolute disgrace. They need to get this channel off the air. Commercials during the match, I could deal with the lack of pre-post commentary. But to show commercials during the match is insulting. AFCON deserves better. It's a wild tournament and great entertainment. I saw the second half of the Tunisia match, and it was... And I was confused. But again, be in with no post-match coverage, said nothing. Uh, I checked the uh, the news later, and, and there is a BBC headline about this crazy referee. Please do better be in or just go out of business. Sell yourself to ESPN+. Plus. The channel is basically ESPN Plus content at best anyway. Maybe after the World Cup, the, the Qataris will change the channel back to Al Jazeera News. And actually, that was a great channel uh, to have. All right, listeners, if you've got something that you want to get off your chest uh, that you want to ask us about, uh, we'd love, love to read your comments out on air, whether they're questions, feedback, analysis, ideas, you name it, uh, especially if they're uh, centered around uh, soccer TV and soccer t- TV streaming, which is what we focus on. And then on the Monday podcast, that's usually a deep dive into a bigger topic uh, from the world of football, soccer. Uh, so you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. And uh, plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Heading into another weekend of football from around the world. Kartik, what should you do? <laughs> what should the listeners do? 
Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.